the gift of love. A nice focus to wrap up the series. Amen? So let's watch this introduction. There was a four-year-old boy that had attended, uh, been attending Sunday school, and teachers had made it very clear to this young preschooler that the reason for Christmas is all about Jesus. And they explained to him about the birth of Jesus, and of course, and their lesson, and their crafts, and all that they talked about. This kid had locked in on the fact that Christmas was about Jesus Christ and his birth. About a week later, uh, prior to Christmas, his family was at the mall, and and as frequently you find, there's a, uh, a line of people waiting to see Santa in Santa's village, all right? So the family had, as was their custom apparently, they simply lined up along with his brothers and sisters in order in the line to see Santa. And they had worked their way, and the kid the whole time was kind of looking around the line. And, and as they got a little bit closer, finally he could, in full view, he saw that Santa was sitting there on his throne and, uh, and, you know, and all the elves around him. And the kid whispered to his parents and said, um, where is the line to see Jesus? I thought to myself, I wish we would all have that level of focus where the true issue is, where is the line that we can get in to see Jesus more clearly? Amen. And I don't know about you, but I want to see him better than I ever have before. I want to see his attributes and I want to know more about him this morning. Hopefully you already know this, but one of the central messages of the Christmas story is all about love. God's gift of love. We've already looked at God's gift of peace and God's gift of uh, joy and God's gift of hope. And today we're going to talk about God's gift of love. I think we probably know, but if you don't, I want to make it really clear to you. 2,000 years ago plus, love reached down. Love reached out of heaven, and love reached out to you and to me. And love is what Christmas is all about. And I want to talk to you today about understanding that gift of love, and more particularly, God's love, because love is at the center of the Christmas message. So let's talk a little bit today about this gift of love. First of all, let's make sure we understand what it's about. And even though some of these may be very basic thoughts, some of you may not have given it much consideration. What is God's love? What is it all about? 
God's love is the kind of love that is different from what humans express. God's love is unending. It is unconditional. It is unearned. It is unrelenting. It is reliable. It is steadfast. And you can always count on it. You will never ever have any more of God's love than you do today. And you'll never have any less of God's love than you do today. God, the Bible says, is love. I don't know, that's so simple. Sometimes we don't take enough time to consider it. But notice it doesn't say, it doesn't say God has love. It doesn't say the, uh, that uh, love, is, in, in that particular verse, it doesn't say God has love or God's about love. It simply says it this way, God is love. Why would the Bible say it that way to you and to me? Because it is his essence. It is his very nature. Doesn't need to say that God has love. Doesn't need to say anything other than the fact that God is love. And today, this morning, I want you to know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus on a mission of love with a message of love. And this time of year is simply a yearly reminder of that kind of love. The Bible tells us in the well-known verse that love reached down in John chapter 3 and verse 16. And I like the New Living Translation for a change of pace. It says, God loves you so much that he sent his only son Jesus into this world so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How many of you are thankful today for God's love? Amen. God created, as we know, he created the entire universe. He created this planet and every single thing you see in this planet, he created it because of love. He created you. He created the human race. He created us because he loves us. God, from the very beginning, the Bible teaches us, the reason he created the universe, the reason he created this planet, the reason he created you and me is because God wanted a family. It was all motivated out of love. God wanted a family. And because of that love, that's the reason today we can celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus. Did you know that the reason that you're alive today Every single one of you, the reason you're sitting here today is because God created you as an object of his love. It wasn't a game. It wasn't an exercise. It wasn't some religious act. God made you so he could love you and so that you could love him. God's love for us is the very reason that our hearts are still beating at this very moment. It's the reason that you're breathing today is because of God's love for us. Listen to this. God's good news is this. He loves you on your good days as well as your bad days. He loves you on Sunday just as he does on Wednesday. He loves you the same on Friday as he does on Sunday. He loves you when you can feel his love. And he loves you when you can't seem to imagine how he could love you. He loves us regardless of whether or not we think we deserve his love. Why? Because God is love. Can you just say that with me? God 
is love. Listen to me. There is nothing you can do to stop God from loving you. Now that is a little bit of a shock to some people because they have some idea of Christianity being a religion. Listen, Christianity really is not a religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we, we reduce the idea of our faith to a set of rules and regulations and routines and things like that. But it's all about a relationship that's based on love. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. You can try, but you simply can't do it. You can run. You can rebel. You can try to ignore him for times, but you can never keep him from loving you. Why? Because his love for you is based on his character. It's not based on anything you do or anything you say, and it's not based on even how you feel this morning. You know, when the baby Jesus grows into a man, he stretched out his arms as wide as the cross. And in so doing, he was saying, I love each of you this much. I love you so much that it hurts. I love you so much that I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing, I love you so much that I'll die for you. So I won't have to live without you. Everything about God is motivated out of this kind of unconditional, relentless love. Love is his essence. Love is who God is. Can we look at a couple of scriptures together? In Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to look at it very carefully. It's it's a beautiful scripture, and there's so much truth. We can't camp out here, but I do want you to see it. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. I like this part. And it gave him great pleasure. What made him, gave him great pleasure? The fact that he created you and he wants you to be a part of his family. There's nothing like being an adopted son or daughter. A lot of times we put emphasis incorrectly on other aspects of our relationship with God. Sometimes we talk about serving God. And some people have the, the, the misconception that they're working for God. And all these other ideas and philosophies. The reality of it is the most important thing you need to understand is God was looking for a son. He was looking for a daughter. He was looking for you and me to simply be a part of his family. It's all about that relationship with God as Papa God. I love 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. And the scripture tells us this is the kind of love that we're talking about. Now listen to what John describes this love as. He said, this is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that once upon a time, uh, not, not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. Always remember this before we go on. God's love is not based on who you are or what you've done. 
His love is based on who he is. And you can't do anything to change that fact. A lot of people think that their most important call in life is to do something, accomplish something, to leave some kind of legacy that, that other people will remember. The truth of the matter is that your number one purpose in life is to know and accept God's love. Your, I said your number one purpose Your number one calling. God may call you to do other things. He may enable you to do some things. You may accomplish great things and have great achievements in life. But I want you to know that your most important call in life isn't to do something, but it's to receive something. That is the most important thing. And I pray to God that most of you here today have already understood and begun to unwrap that love. Let's unwrap it a little bit more, shall we? And I want you to look in your Bibles if you have them with you in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. But I do have it on the screen so you can see it. This is a well-known verse, but I've used a different translation just to bring some special emphasis to it this morning. So may I read it to you? This is helping us to, to go deeper into an understanding of God's love. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. Do you see that? As all God's people should understand this. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience, underline that word, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. The truth of the matter is we want to go deeper in understanding of God's love. We want to unwrap it some more this morning, but frankly, it's like a fly trying to understand the Internet. I mean, to put our hands around God's love as it really is. We can, make, we, can, we can begin to do that, and the Holy Spirit will help us to do that. But the truth of the matter is, it's too great. It's too immense for us to totally comprehend it. I don't think you'll ever fully be able to know God's love until you see him face to face. Until you spend eternity with him and you know his love. This morning, let's focus on that verse for a moment. May I offer to you four dimensions of God's love that Paul speaks to here. Notice that he says that we may have the power to understand. Understand what? He's wanting us to get a hold of something. He's wanting us to understand and to unwrap something. And he tells us what he wants us to know. He says he wants us to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. Notice the different dimensions of God's love that are explained here. Can we take just a moment and talk about those dimensions together? First of all, I suggest to you that God's love is wide enough to be everywhere. Number one, it's wide enough to be everywhere. You see, there is no place where God's love doesn't penetrate. There is no place on this planet that God's love today is not penetrating. It doesn't matter whether you're in the deepest, darkest hole or pit. 
It doesn't matter whether you're in the barrios. It doesn't matter whether you live in the dark streets of the inner city. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, in the city dumps of Manila or the plains of the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro or whether you're in the penthouse suite in Manhattan. It doesn't matter whether you're the Muslim or the Buddhist or the pagan or whether you worship trees or idols. It doesn't matter who you are. The Bible says that God's love is what? It's wide enough to be everywhere. God's love is everywhere. There is no place that you can go where you can not find God's love. Some people try to run and escape God's love. How many of us tried to do that in the past? Come on. We've tried to escape and we say, well, if I just pursue this lifestyle or if I just go here, maybe I can somehow get away from God. But God's love is there wherever you may try to run. Why? Because God's love is wide. It's wide and it's wide enough to be everywhere. Is it also long? That's what the scripture said. We need to know how wide, but we also need to know what? How long? May I suggest to you that it's long enough to last forever. God's love is long enough to last forever. You see, we need to contrast that to human love. Human love is fickle. Human love is sometimes good weather love. When everything's going sweet, when you're acting nice, then I love you. When everything seems to be calm and everything, and, and everything needs to be going well, then we're able to love. But human love wears out. Any of you ever noticed that before? If you're relying purely on your own human love, it will wear thin. Human love, frankly, is not sustainable. You may, you may feel at some moments that you're operating in love, but I promise you, it'll wear out. It won't last. It is not sustainable. And human love is also always conditional. It's always conditional. But what about God's love? God's love is long enough to last and endure forever. And it's long enough to outlast you and me and our children. And you know what? Even if you reject him, And I pray to God today that there's no one here that's rejecting God. But if you choose to reject his gift of love and choose to live the rest of eternity in hell, I've got news for you. He's still going to love you. He'll love you all the way to your destination in hell because it's long. It's long enough to last forever. The third characteristic of the love of God that we noticed in this verse is that we not only know how wide it is, how long it is, but notice Paul says you also need to know its depth, how deep it is. May I suggest to you that it's deep enough to handle anything. It's deep enough. The capacity of God's love is great enough to handle anything that you throw at it. Any situation that you may experience. God's love is deep enough for any pain. Any disappointment. Any hurt. Any situation that you're in. It doesn't matter how difficult. And some of you this morning said, you just don't understand, Pastor, what I'm going through. I may not, but God's love does. And God's love can handle anything. There's no pit too deep for God's love to be present and to penetrate 
All of us have gone through stuff in life. And regardless of what you've gone through this morning, I want you to remember, and some of it, maybe even the memories of it are fresh on you. I want you to know that God's love is deep enough to handle anything, any addiction, any situation, any crisis, any problem, any mountain. His love is deep enough to handle it. And the last dimension is the height. Notice that he says we need to know how wide it is, how long it is, how deep it is. And he finally says, and how high it is. It's high enough to overlook our mistakes. God's love is high enough to overlook our mistakes and our errors. Uh, Maybe you before have been on a team, particularly when you were younger, and uh, if the result after you play the game, if the result isn't as you wanted, you simply say, could we have do-overs? Do you know what I'm talking about? In golf, we call it mulligans, all right? But, but the, the truth of the matter is that a lot of us in life have had to have a lot of do-overs, amen? I mean, we've had, we've had errors. We've had mistakes. All of us, the Bible says, are sinners, And all of us have missed the mark. But the good news is that God's love is high enough, it's large enough, it's high enough in order to overlook our errors and our mistakes. It's high enough to forgive the worst of our sins and our mistakes. It concerns me today when people want to talk about their failures and they want to talk about uh, what are frankly gross transgressions against God. But somehow the word sin is not in popular use today. No, we want to talk about a tendency. We want to talk about uh, this or that, and we label it all kinds of things. But the Bible is unequivocal about its reference to this simply as sin. The truth of the matter is, all of us were born with a sin problem. And that's the reason we keep making these same mistakes over and over again. The good news is, God has an answer to the sin problem. And the answer to the sin problem is packaged in His love. And His love came in the form of His Son, Jesus, so that He could forgive us. And Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. While we were yet sinners, not after you cleaned your act up, not after you packaged it up, knocked off all the mistakes and said, man, I've been doing good for a whole month. I haven't fallen into that habit for 30 days. I'm doing really good. Maybe now God's going to accept me. No, friend, you don't have to wait for that. God's love is high enough to forgive you now and to love you and to save you while you're still a sinner because you can't do enough. To merit God's forgiveness. I've been wondering about a question. And if I could pose it to you this morning. I'll ask it this way. How would your life change? I intend this for every single one of us. Whether you know Jesus. Whether you're not right with God this morning. Whatever your situation. How would your life change. If you could deeply. Believe. In God's love. What would be different if you could somehow discover and begin to embrace and experience Father God's love the way it really is? I don't think I would be in any way wrong to suggest I think it would be different. I think your life would be radically different if somehow we would simply embrace and experience more of God's love 
in our life? How would your life change? May I suggest to you today five results that I think are commonplace to anyone who really experiences this gift of love. Number one, I feel accepted rather than ashamed. Once I really experience God's love, listen, it makes all the difference in the world. All of a sudden, I feel accepted rather than walking around ashamed. You know, the truth is that most people walk around in shame and embarrassment because they know that what you don't have to. How many of you found out you don't have to tell a lot of people, you don't have to preach to people too much about the fact that they're sinners. You notice that some people are deceived and they don't believe it. But most people are fully aware of how much they've screwed up their life. Am I right? They know it. And they live with a sense of shame. And they walk around saying, well, why should I draw close to God? Because I know I I don't measure up. Am I right? And people, that's a pretty common feeling among people. They say, well, why should I be reminded of God's perfection? Look at me. Look what I've gone in. Look what I've been involved with. But the Bible tells us that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. He came to help, not to condemn. He didn't come to shame us. He came to accept us. You say, well, how can I ever be made acceptable? We can be made accepted through Jesus Christ because Jesus took our unacceptability he took our wrongness on himself and he hung on the cross and he paid the price for it we have now been made acceptable through jesus you know there is nothing more important to me than knowing that i'm accepted by god i'm accepted by him john 1 12 says but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of god He wants us to accept him, and when we accept him, we now have his full acceptance. Aren't you glad that his acceptance of you, I didn't say his approval all the time, but his acceptance of you is not based on your performance. Even when I have a miserable week, even in those moments that it seems like I cannot hear another person's problem, you know what I know? At the end of the day, I know God accepts me. I may react wrong at times. I may have a wrong attitude. I may, I may stray at times, but no matter how far I stray off the path, it never affects God's acceptance of me. Now the Holy Spirit may come and convict me and show a better way. Am I right? And he wants to lead me on that journey. But I never have to question whether or not I'm accepted. Why? Jesus has made me acceptable. He has made you, if you're born again, you're an adopted child of God. You're accepted in Jesus Christ, the beloved. And to know, to go through life saying, I have experienced God's love, his unconditional love, and now I feel accepted. I don't need to be ashamed anymore. I feel accepted. How many of you can say that I feel accepted this morning? Then you have begun 
to experience that unconditional love of God. You know what our problem is, most of us, is we have what we, what, what we might refer to as an approval addiction. We've lived our lives trying to get everybody's approval. You look at what motivates most people today and what they do. They're simply trying to get someone's approval. It may be, it may be a husband or a wife or a child or a parent or it may be an employer, or it may be some friend that they know. Everything seems to be motivated by simply my need to get approval from people. We're addicted to this approval trap. Now, I, I don't want to be rude, but I just want to tell you what I've discovered. I've discovered that I can be free from that approval addiction and those cycles, and that once I know that God has accepted me, frankly... You know, when you're in any kind of, in most roles of leadership, if not just life, not everything you do is going to be met with people's making people happy. Am I right? There are going to be some people that are going to come against you. You're going to have some enemies. You're going to have some opposition. You're going to have some people who say, I don't approve of that. You know what? I've gotten to the point in my Christian walk where I, find, I realized years ago, and I'm glad I'm still able to express it today, I don't really care. <laughs> You say, well, that is the rudest thing I've ever heard a pastor say. But doesn't it make sense? Look, if God has accepted me, see, if I know God, the creator of the universe, has accepted me and loves me unconditionally, if you reject me, I might, I might, you know, I might feel a little bit better if you didn't reject me, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference. Why? God has accepted me and I've been set free from that approval addiction that controls so much of what we do in life. There's a second result that I think you can experience if you really, if you really know that unconditional love of God. Number two, you can say this, I am free from the penalty of sin. You see, as most of you know, we're all sinners and we deserve to die and we deserve judgment and we deserve hell. Our greatest enemy today is not terrorism. It's not disease and it's not racism. Our greatest enemy today is our constant inclination to rebel against God. It's the sin problem that we are born with. And because of sin, we have no rest in life until we fully accept and embrace the unconditional love of God. The greatest message that man has ever heard is this. In spite of our sin and in spite of your ongoing struggle with sin, even though your best behavior is mucked up with the filth of sin, God doesn't condemn us. You say, how can that be? How is that possible? Here's how. Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, that all the punishment for our sin fell on Jesus Christ. It isn't that God is some old fogey who simply forgot our sin momentarily. No, justice was done. And the full weight and the punishment and the penalty for our sin was paid for by Jesus Christ once and for all. And that is why today I can experience, when I experience and fully embrace the unconditional gift of God's love, I can say, I'm free 
from the penalty of sin. And by the way, the more that I walk in the Spirit, I can be free from the power of sin. That's a great transformation. Let's look at number three. I worship God with abandonment. When I really, truly unwrap and unpackage the gift of God's unconditional love, it changes my life to a life of a worshiper. It will change me into someone whose devotion uh, is so freed up in God. And notice that I suggested here not just that we become worshipers, but that we can worship him with abandonment. Religious people think extravagant worship is a waste of time. I'm going to say that again. Religious people think that extravagant worship, giving your all to God in worship, is a waste of time. In the same way that the disciples accused Mary, if you remember in John chapter 12, of taking that expensive experience expensive perfume and ointment and pouring it onto the feet of Jesus. And what did they say? What are you doing that for? That's a waste. You see, religious people always think extravagant worship is a waste of time and money. Even when David got set free as the ark was coming back into Jerusalem and as he was dancing before the presence and the ark of the Lord, that ark came rolling into Jerusalem and King David laid aside protocol, laid aside political correctness, and he simply took off his outer garment and he began to dance in the presence of the Lord. He knew that the presence of God was coming back into Jerusalem where it belonged. And as he worshiped God with abandonment, even his own wife made fun of him. Why? She didn't get it. She had not received what David had received. But once you truly experience the unconditional love of God, my friend, you've got something to be thrilled about. You've got something to express. You've got something to to express with total abandonment, not really caring what everybody else says about you. When my son, my youngest son, Joshua, who went through a season of three years of, of when he was a teenager of drug use and and all kinds of issues which aren't important today except that he went through them. When he came out of that and he came back to Jesus and he really began to walk with the Lord, he felt uh, he he actually had scholarships to pursue art school and a number of things. And he said, Dad, I just feel a call. I just want to give my life to the mission field. Dad, I just want to go and tell people about Jesus wherever I can. And so he became a, a, a part of Youth with a Mission, and he traveled for three-plus years with Youth with a Mission all over the world, just loving Jesus. And I remember Josh began to send me notes after his, his DTS, and he, he was on his first trip. I think this one was to Senegal. And he wrote me a letter, and I remember the way he began to sign his letters. Now, this is a boy that was raised in church. This is a boy that knew the Bible. But he had gone off on a detour, He'd come back to rediscover God's forgiveness and love. And he would sign his notes this way. Ruined for the ordinary. Your son, Josh. I remember when Carrie and I read that, I said, do you, do you see how our son is signing his letters? Ruined 
for the ordinary. And I thought to myself, I wish all of us could somehow become ruined for the ordinary and we would choose the extravagant. We would choose the excessive dedication to Jesus. Instead of just nominal, being a nominal Christian, we would opt for a radical revolutionary walk with God that no one would question or doubt. And I've often reminded my son of that. I said, do you remember? Always stay ruined for the ordinary. We need to worship God with abandonment, and you will once you fully embrace that gift of love. Let me give you two more as we close. Number four, I believe that if you truly experience that gift, you'll be bold in bringing your needs to God. Something happens when you really know that God loves you, when you really know that you're accepted by God through His Son, Jesus. Something happens to the way you think and the way you process issues in your life. And then when more that you become familiar with the truth of the Bible, you realize I can actually bring that need that I've always tried to sort out. I've always tried to figure it out. I've always tried to come up with a hundred different solutions. I can actually bring that to God. I don't have to be timid. I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to be fearful. I can simply boldly with confidence come into the presence of God himself to the throne of grace and I can say, God, I need this. You say, is that biblical? Yes. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let me read it to you. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with boldness, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen, once you know God's unconditional love for you, you begin to experience it. You'll begin to boldly take your needs before God in prayer. Boldly, without... You see, this is not the picture of someone that's timidly coming. It's also not the picture of someone who's using religious language to approach their God. You know, sometimes I get a kick out of listening to people who, want, who think that the way that we need to approach God with our needs is with all of this flowery religious language. Oh God, thou art. You know, if that's just the way you pray, that's okay. He can interpret it. But I remember when our sons were growing up, they just had no problem coming to me and saying, Dad, I need cash. <laughs> right, Nick? They didn't come to me and say, Oh, thou greatest mighty progenitor of the Hill family, would thou please? No, they just say what? Dad, <laughs> I need some cash. Why? Because they know my love for them. And they know they can just come and boldly just ask. Sometimes we just need to go to Papa God and say, I need some cash. <laughs> come on. Say amen. Am I right? 
When you really know God's unconditional love, you open up that gift. It, you will begin to boldly bring your needs to God and ask him and, and, and petition for what you need to receive mercy, to find grace, whatever you need in your time of need. Don't be hesitant. Don't feel like you need to cower away. You can simply walk reverently, but yet boldly before God and say, Papa God. That's the most intimate that the Bible tells us and that, that now we can call out to God as Abba, Father. In Aramaic, it's the, it's the way every child refers to, to Daddy, their father. They don't say, Oh, Father. No, it's just what? Daddy, Papa, Abba. Here's what my need is today. Let me give you one more change that I think you would experience if you fully unwrap this gift is that you'll begin to share the love of God with other people. There's a great scripture. I can't remember if I put it up here. No, I didn't. Let me read it to you. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. But I'm going to read it to you out of the message translation, which is different. This is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Listen to what it says. My dear, dear friends... If God loved us like this, we certainly must love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. I like this phrase. It said, if God really loved us like this, it says, then we certainly must love others. It just makes good sense. When you really understand and embrace and receive God's gift of love, it should change you. And you should become a lover of others. In fact, John is so bold in his epistle to say this. If you don't love other people, Christians, he actually goes on to say God's love isn't in you. He says, it goes on to say, let's stop talking love. Let's stop. Let's start doing it. If we really can be receivers of God's love and that relentless, enduring, reliable, steadfast, unconditional love, can't we show it to some other people? Can't we begin to have the same level of acceptance to other people? Can't we begin to show it to our wives and our husbands? Can't we begin to love our parents and our children more adequately? Shouldn't we begin to love other members of the family of God with the same kind of love? And that means that, listen, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have it all together. I'm still going to love you. I'm still, it may not be right, and I can help you get out of it, but I'm still going to love you with God's unconditional love. People are starving for that kind of love. Who is there to offer it to them other than people who've experienced it themselves? Once again, he says, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly, we certainly must love one another and that sharing the gift of love would you stand to your feet with me this morning my objective this morning
was hopefully to so unwrap and unpack that gift of love that we're celebrating today and hopefully ongoing so that you would know how loved you are. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward. They would post themselves here at the front of the auditorium so that those of you who have needs this morning feel free, whatever that need may be, you can come and receive the prayer of agreement from them. There's power in praying with someone. But as your heads are bowed, I want to ask that all of you would pray in your hearts as I pray this prayer I want you in your heart to agree with it and if it's the first time you really ever meant it then I want you to know that as a result of this prayer of belief in your heart you become a child of God and I ask that you would come and confirm that with one of these prayer teams but even those of you who have known Jesus personally and you have a relationship with God you know your sins are forgiven through what Jesus did at Calvary you can pray this as well so that we can as Ephesians said we can go deeper we can grow deeper in our knowledge and understanding of his love God we come today thanking you that we acknowledge today that you love us and you love us now that love was behind the creation that everything that we see around us is because of your love it's an expression of your love and the reason you created the human race was to have a family who would call you daddy God Father God, today we affirm your relentless, never-ending, wide, long, deep, and high love. We affirm your unconditional love and that we can't do anything to ever earn it, but you just give it freely. Today, I accept your love gift by asking Jesus Christ to wipe out my past take me out of this place of lostness and darkness and make me a new person I invite you Holy Spirit come and live in me and make me a new person God today Thank you for your love, Heavenly Father. Thank you for what it means every day of my life. And help me to always share it with others. In Jesus' name. Brent, would you come and declare a blessing over us? And remember, these prayer teams are here to pray with you. Would you look up at me this morning as I bless you? I bless you this morning with the fire of the Holy Spirit that ignites afresh in you the love and power of God. I bless you with His love. 
His love that Scripture says has been lavished on you. May you be deeply rooted and grounded in His love. I bless you with the peace of God. May the peace of God that passes all understanding, may it be a guard about your heart and mind. May the Prince of Peace reign over every relationship, every point of anxiety you have. May it reign in your heart deeply. May the hope of God, as Scripture says, does not disappoint us. May it be near to you today. A deep sense of His coming. Scripture calls Him Emmanuel, God with us. May the closeness of God, may you just have a deep awareness of it today. I bless your eyes to be able to see God. Scripture says the pure in heart shall see Him. I bless your ears to be able to hear the voice of God. I bless your hands. May they be hands of divine healing and encouragement to others. I bless your mouth today. May they declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are the favorite of God. You are the blessed of God. Be blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day. God bless you.